Welcome to Home Education Matters, the weekly podcast supporting you on your home education journey. Uh, This is a wonderful podcast we're doing today because this is probably the podcast we're most asked for. And this is a deep dive into how to sit exams as a home educator, because alas, it's not as straightforward as it is when your child is at school. And I'm joined by Iram, an expert on home ed exams. I'm very confident in saying that. She has done webinars on it and she also has a Facebook group all about supporting home educators through exams. So welcome, Iram. It is lovely to have you with us. Thank you so much for that introduction, Eleanor. Um, yeah, um, about the expert. Yes, I've had a lot of experience, definitely um, taking um, my my I've got three children. The two older ones were um, always home educated and we went all the way through and they've got eight GCSEs, I GCSEs, but um, each in all the core subjects. And uh, yeah, just ourselves um, using textbooks and online resources and so on. And my eldest actually went through to A level as well so yeah I've got quite a lot of knowledge and um, understanding of what it to to go through the process really it's a learning process it's it's an ongoing thing as well because I think often we think it's a static thing but it's actually dynamic it changes over time and it will change with each child and um, that's part of the beauty of the home med approach anyway that you can mix and match different styles different approaches what works at one point in time you're not tied to that so you can change you know you can go a different route you can take you know you can start off thinking this is a subject that you want to do an IGCSE or GCSE in and then decide well it's not quite right and um so yeah it's not fixed and I think that's one of the things the strong kind of um, messages that I'd like to get across to people um, that it's not something that's set in stone and that's a really positive thing although in some ways that's also daunting because it's kind of <laughs> there's no set path but mm. that in itself I think is a strength in the end um, yeah it's that inherent flexibility definitely. of home education yeah definitely so, so so do tell us your your top tips and your guide to getting through exams I will sit here and ask pertinent questions that come up. <laughs> okay, right. So I'm just going to go through. I've set, I've created a set of slides which I've used with great success with other home educators. So I thought I'd go through that. So an introduction first to start with, um, how to get started on it. And then the frequently asked questions. So those are the questions which over the years I've had and it's all often variations on a theme, how many subjects to take, when to take them, where to take them, which options to take, which boards, IGCSE versus GCSE, what the difference is, and then finishing finally with uh, what next, where to go from here, maybe with some kind of actionable goals uh, or objectives to kind of take away some key takeaways from the session and um, how to proceed really how to kind of turn that into action and uh, hopefully that this this will I mean I think we were talking earlier weren't we about how there's no shortage of information online and there's lots of um, resources but I think it is always I think daunting and I have a teaching background and even with that um, to assume that responsibility have feel the weight of that responsibility um, on your shoulders for ensuring that your children get an access to a high quality education is it can be quite uh, at times sort of intimidating and overwhelming so I think the value of these kinds of sessions is to hopefully inspire and reassure and offer hope Exactly. I think a lot of home educators, when they come from, say, primary, those those sort of cuddly, touchy-feely years, and then they get to the 13, 14-year-olds. And, and I think a lot of home educators put their child back in school purely because they just don't think they're going to be able to handle the whole exam process and dealing with them with it themselves. And I'd really like this session to be able to empower them so that they have that other option. They can keep their child out and they can continue to home educate all the way through. Yeah, I love that word empower. And that's, I think that's a big part of it. It's about inspiring confidence and faith in yourself, really. Right. So, um, as I said, I think, you know, it, it, it's, it might seem daunting, but, you know, trust in the fact that many have gone through this <laughs> it's a well-trodden path. And there is a wealth of information out there. So there's, there's an exams wiki, 
there's a Facebook group, there's an IO group, there's a large number of subject specific groups, for example, for environmental management, history, English, all of which can be quite helpful in terms of um, if you have specific questions or concerns. And um, just to point out that you can use a search facility as well if there's something that you're particularly, um, you know, focused on finding the answer for, uh, because chances are somebody some at some point has asked the same question. So just to kind of highlight that, because I don't think everybody knows you can search through the posts and um, previous posts. <laughs> um, and don't forget your local groups as well, because local groups are really useful in terms of helping you locate centres that might be able to accommodate you and also share people who've used local centres can share their experiences of those centres and whether they'd recommend them and what issues potentially there might be with that. And I think that one of the main um, things to recognise first off is that if you're completely new to uh, the business of sitting exams as a home educating family is the way in which we take them. So we don't, there's not one single path there's not one it's not like it is in school it's laid out and it's sort of almost a conveyor belt approach isn't it you go through key stage three and then you sit your exam you start studying for your GCSEs from 14 and you sit all of them in a bunch at the age of 16 usually so mostly home children stagger the exams and I know, I know the majority do partly because it helps to spread the cost and also I think it helps give young people the opportunity to kind of immerse themselves in a subject and really yeah, enjoy it and retain it also because I went to secondary school and it's, 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 it's a sort of business of cramming everything it goes into the head and then you just regurgitate in the exam and it's not really the case that you engage in a meaningful way with what you're learning a lot of the time so that's a, I think a, a positive and a strength so also uh, whereas kids in school often sit sort of nine or ten that's not actually something they need to do so home educated young people often take I mean in terms of entrance to next steps colleges and sixth forms only usually require five or six IGCSEs at grades A to C or equivalent if it's nine to one that's four plus um, to get onto A level courses so that's something to bear in mind so you don't need to sit nine or ten you can of course if you want to nothing Thing to stop you doing that either but again um, in terms of what's required or the minimum number that you might be aiming for that's sort of five to six my own two older daughters sat um, eight each but my eldest did her A-levels from home, as I said, but my middle one went to a selective sixth form and that didn't pose any, I mean, it wouldn't have posed any issues if she'd had seven or six, um, so long as she'd got the grades that they wanted for the particular subjects that she was looking to study. I think it helps to know the college course and the requirements for the college course. So obviously not all children know what they want to do at college, but if they do, it's super helpful to work back from that and see what the requirements are. Oh, yeah, yeah, that is that is really excellent advice, because um, if there is a particular college that you're, you're, you've got your eye on or you think might be a good one for your um, young person, I think it's definitely good advice to find out what exactly their requirements are. And um, that advice to work back, I think that's also very helpful in terms of forward planning. So if you know how many GCSEs you're aiming for, and this is the approach that we took. So I thought, Rena, these are the we want to cover the core, the sciences, maths, English, and then some optional um subjects that were based on my my kids interests um so we knew we wanted to do eight so i literally worked out sort of a schedule where we did sort of roughly two a year starting from about sort of 12 13 and i think that's typically what a lot of home educated families do although i do know and it's not impossible to do all of that you know all five or six in one go at 16. um it will also depend on your own circumstances i think of what stage you're at and at what point you've if your if your child has previously been in school and you've withdrawn them from school that might impact things as well um but there's there's definitely not and i think that's a kind of a mind shift a kind of a mind shift isn't it thinking about how we how we go about staggering the exams and um, another thing to mention is we only did one each year or two each year because we could because we were staggering them we could do it all in a more intensive way and for my kids that worked because i think if they'd done them over two years um they probably would have got bored lost interest yeah. It also helps to free up time, doesn't it? So that you can you can yes. do this very focused exam preparation. 
but then what you can do is you can free the rest of the day up to do all the fun stuff and because yeah. I think quite often home educators feel that when they get to exam age that everything becomes unfun you know all the learning becomes yeah. very very regulated but actually what we quite liked was to only do one or two subjects a year so very focused study and then the rest of the time we could do all the fun stuff you know all the arty yeah. stuff and that kind of thing. Yeah. And also, even when we were studying it for exams, we always made time to balance it with non-academic stuff as well. So and we'd only really typically focus on working in the mornings because my kids are morning people, <laughs> although that might be different for others. Um, they typically worked sort of just after breakfast to just before lunchtime or around about lunchtime. And then afternoons were kind of free to do what we wanted to do. And we always, I always made a point of still continuing to go on trips and do extracurricular and sort of enrichment or sports activities, drama, all sorts of things. Yeah, I think it's about striking that balance and i think it can't all be academic and, and neither should it be um so it's about balance in everything i think and so typically i think in our case certainly we started around 12 13 and it's important also to mention that you don't have to have completed all your exams by the age of 16. so that's another thing you can you can take an extra year it's fine it's not going to disadvantage your young person at all my eldest daughter is august born so um, I felt most of her peers were actually in the year below her. So we took an extra year. And in that time, she did a couple more GCSEs. She did loads of extracurricular things, working with um, youth projects and things with museums and galleries or building up different kinds of experiences, did some art because she's quite passionate about art. And um, yeah, so that's something to bear in mind as well. You don't have to be done by the age of 16 and that might impact the way in which you decide to spread the workload and spread your GCSEs um, and as we said earlier so deciding on your end goal like how many you want to study or you're aiming to study and then kind of thinking about what subjects you want to cover and remember that can be that can change you know there's nothing to say it can't change and so yeah also what I kind of we focused on doing IGCSEs and GCSEs but bear in mind there are alternatives as well so BTECs and so on and diplomas and alternative routes into university. Because mm. obviously there's there's no minimum age for GCSEs, there's no maximum age, and also there's no requirement to sit any at all. So um, yeah. obviously a lot of jobs do require English and maths, but a lot of colleges will offer that alongside the college course. So there's, yes. there is that, that flexibility built in, isn't there? Different routes, alternative yeah. routes. Definitely, definitely. So that's something to bear in mind if perhaps your child is has more vocational interests, for example, or um, wants to study art, in which case you might want to work on building a portfolio and so on. Oh, well, I'll interrupt you there because we have, yeah, we have a fabulous podcast coming up, actually, all about building an art portfolio, because for so many children, art GCSE is really out of bounds for home educated children. Yeah. And so yeah. having a very good art portfolio is is essential I think for getting into college so we've yeah, actually got a podcast definitely. coming up on that so look out for brilliant that, that's that's chimed <laughs> in well <laughs> right so how to go about sitting the exam so the practicality so you've worked out how many you're aiming for your next step is to think about which subjects I think I think that's um that's one of the issues for people as well how to narrow down their choices of subjects now in terms of the essential subjects it's really only English language and I stress English language and maths that are essential other than those two subjects, which are normally required by employers and, you know, wherever you want to go on to, they'll require that as um, an essential. And other than that, you can just follow your child's interests, which is fantastic. I think that's wonderful. And there's so many opportunities to study subjects that maybe some people don't even know exist as GCSE. So astronomy, ancient history, classical civilizations, environmental management, some of the ones we've studied or considered studying over the years. And um, I want to stress also, because uh, my background is in English, so I, I, <laughs> this is a real bugbear of mine, um, English literature is not required. So a lot of people are under the mistaken assumption uh, that English literature is an essential. I think it stems from the fact that in school, everybody does it as a sort of mandatory subject, but it's not actually. And I think the Fairgoss figures are something like 20% of 
students who sit English language do the literature. So it's actually in the minority. Um, and much as I love literature, <laughs> um, it's certainly not something that my older two were interested in studying. Um, interestingly, because they loved reading and we've always talked about literature and we've read and we still read together aloud and so on. But um, they didn't like the process of analysing texts and breaking it down and deconstructing it and thinking of it as a, something that was a, a figment of a writer's imagination rather than suspending belief and kind of immersing themselves in that world. So it didn't work for them and my eldest daughter did three quarters of the literature syllabus before confessing to me that she didn't want to sit the exam so that's what I mean about being flexible right so we started mm. off I assumed because they loved reading and they were good at it that they'd want to do literature but it wasn't for them and it certainly didn't hold them back because my eldest daughter got offers from all the Russell Group universities so this is something that people think oh but will it be a disadvantage to not have it and it is not absolutely isn't so she applied to all all her uni choices were Russell Group and she got offers from all of them and my middle daughter who's at the selective sixth form she didn't have English literature and it didn't cause it wasn't an issue at all so I just want to stress that point. It's one of those subjects that I think a lot of people feel they should do but maybe are not at all suited to because some it is very writing heavy and also I think it's yeah. one of those exams that is best suited when you're a bit older you know, I think Definitely. you tend to need to feel a bit more emotionally mature to to handle some of the topics and to be able to analyze deep down into some of the emotions in literature. So yeah, we've definitely. yeah we've we've skipped it actually for for both of my my daughter's good at English, but will probably not do it only because a bit like your daughters, I I I did um, A level and S level. I don't even know if they still do that now. Which I, think I is did scholarship S level. level. Did you? <laughs> don't think there's yeah, many of us around who did that. And um, and I found that. It was ruining my love of books because I was just analysing them rather than immersing myself in them, like your children said. So I, I get yeah. what they mean by that. Yeah. Yeah. So, I, yeah, I think it's important to recognise that it's not essential. And there's nothing to stop you studying a syllabus for fun as well. You don't always have to. Uh, studying a, a syllabus doesn't have to necessarily culminate in an exam. So my daughter did three quarters of the syllabus. That would have been valuable in its own right um, without having to sit the exam and get the piece of paper at the end of it. Yeah, and so a lot of the subjects that are available to us as home educators, which aren't available in many schools, psychology, environmental management, astronomy, classical civilizations, ancient history. So there's a lot of freedom to facilitate your child's interests and there's no limits on how many subjects they take. You don't have any restrictions in terms of subject combinations. Um, and most of the, most start with um, straightforward knowledge-based subjects. And that would be, you asked me for tips earlier on um that would be one of my tips so don't start with essay based subjects um so my my oldest daughter started with classical civilizations which it does have an essay component which can be quite challenging when you're sort of 12 going on 13 but it obviously depends on your child's kind of foundation really where they're at in terms of their ability with that um so that's not to say it's a definite no-no either again it's sort of you can tailor your approach and what subjects you want to focus on based on your child's abilities and strengths and so on I think also it depends on their interests because my daughter yeah, also actually sat classical civilization at 13 it was her first one and she's very oh, wow. dyslexic and and she struggled she struggles with essay writing but because she loved the subject so much she yeah. got an eight and absolutely adored it so it I think sometimes yeah sometimes I think it's yeah. a very good tip not to go to for one of the very heavy essay based subjects first off but every now and then if they really love it it can be a really helpful one yeah, I mean, enthusiasm can take you a long way and passion for the subject that you're learning. It, it counts for a lot. That's um, home ed so, all, all yeah. over though, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> it is, isn't it? Um, <laughs> so English and history are quite heavily essay based. So English, la English literature um, and history are quite heavily essay based. So that might Huge be some content as well. Large, very large yeah. um, syllabus to cover. So um, a lot of uh, my top tip for first GCSE would be environmental management because it's short yeah. answer. The subject is very accessible. I think a lot of people nowadays have a kind of general and broad understanding a lot uh, around a lot of environmental issues so that can be an advantage there's crossover with biology and geography so it's sort of a really nice i think it's a really great one um there's, to do. there's also very little 
prior knowledge that you actually need to have memorized before you get into the exam with environmental management yeah. i've noticed i don't know if you have a lot of it is analyzing the information that they give you on the paper so actually yeah. you could if you're reasonably switched on you could actually not do any revision at all not do any studying and still pass em i reckon uh, yeah i think you, i think there's something in that and i think a lot of it's sort of what we would think of as general knowledge as well so yeah. just knowing based on what you know already so yeah i think that's a great one to start with and we were talking earlier about um art being one of those difficult subjects to facilitate um pe drama and music are also among that group of subjects which are difficult to arrange i won't say impossible um because they occasionally you find um providers for example drama schools might offer gcse drama um, or lambda music. qualifications sometimes don't exactly they? yeah so that's what i was going to say also that it's not necessary to have it's not always necessary to have a qualification in those subjects in terms of having a gcse so for art um the my oldest daughter did the silver um arts award and you can take that all the way through to, to gold and that actually carries ucas points so nice. um silver is equivalent to GCSE and I think it's a great one to do and there are lots of providers um, that can facilitate that. For music and singing, ABRSM and Trinity grades are um, equivalent at grade 5 to GCSE, uh, grade 8 carries UCAS points, drama so lambda exams you mentioned and my daughter's sat lambda exams which you don't need to do at through a drama school either we did it ourselves entered privately went and sat the exams in uh, central london um but there are centers all over and we did uh, poetry and prose but there's public speaking all sorts of things which can be Lovely. really really great qualifications and i'd recommend looking into those if you're interested in drama you can do drama lambda qualifications as well i think two other subjects that um didn't used to be available to home educators but are becoming slightly more popular are media studies and film studies which used yeah. to be pretty much out of our reach but now there are a number of providers who liaise with exam centers to sign off the practical components or the course with yes, the coursework components right. it's amazing how many options are open to us because i meet some school children sometimes well the parents and they say things like oh my daughter wanted to do x y and z but couldn't because x clashed with y and and you just think what a shame you know that they couldn't choose it is such my, a shame my son did four sciences and everyone looks at me as if to wow. say what was the fourth one because of course <laughs> astronomy is just not really offered in school yeah. so it, it no, is lovely not. to have that flexibility hmm. it definitely is so i think that's a real a real positive and that what you were saying about coursework components kind of leads me on to my next bullet point which is gcse versus igcse so for some subjects such a big topic coursework. isn't it yeah and um i think not very well understood um even by teachers in mainstream schools who don't recognize igcs and colleges also mm. who don't know what igcses are so some subjects have um coursework components which make it difficult for private candidates to sit um for sciences and english and IGCSEs are absolutely equivalent to GCSEs, um, despite the fact that some people may, might say, even teachers might say otherwise. Um, they're, they're often available in private schools, actually, in independent schools, so and um, abroad, and they are fully equivalent. In fact, I think IGCSEs in some cases, I think the gap's closing a bit now with the reforms of GCSEs but um, I think IGCSEs are slightly more advanced than GCSEs yes. certainly. I've heard that from maths and for the sciences that actually it's slightly it's almost like one step towards A-levels the IGCSEs. Definitely yeah definitely so my my two older daughters did all three IGCSEs separate sciences and they chose A-level biology and um, that definitely the, the content that they covered at GCSE IGCSE definitely gave them um, a step ahead you know it got them kind of further with that so they already had the foundation there it wasn't as big a jump in terms of difficulty and just to confirm that the IGCSE because I know some people think that the I stands for maybe internet or something like that the I stands for international and international. isn't an online exam no alas no, uh, <laughs> no it's an inter international qualification mainly because the majority of students who take IGCSEs are actually not in the UK um, and it's an internationally regarded qualification so that um, yeah that's that's something to uh, bear in mind 
for subjects like math, you can sit GCSE or IGCSE. So my uh, middle daughter's at GCSE maths this summer before starting college. And we opted for the GCSE because based on the content really and the way in which it was examined. So those basically it's a case of um, comparing the syllabuses and the way in which the exams are assessed and the tasks on the exam papers so that you can kind of uh, pick. And that's the beauty as well of home ed that you can pick the syllabus, the board, the content that you think works best for your young person, which obviously you don't have that option in school because the school decides what board they're doing and what syllabus they're covering. And you just have to go along with that, really. You don't have the freedom to choose yourself. It is so important, that aspect as well, because I'm not sure if you're getting to this later. So I apologise if I'm if I'm leaping okay. ahead. But um, <laughs> it's so important, I think, to analyze all the different options open to you for, for the subjects. So for example, if you want to do history, deciding between IGCSE, GCSE, deciding whether you want to do different exam boards, because there's so much difference. Some subjects, there's very little difference. Uh, I've done a podcast recently on modern foreign languages. Natalia was saying that actually there's almost no difference between AQA and Edexcel. They're almost identical. Yeah. And maths yeah. is a little bit the same. There's not a huge difference. Science is not massive differences, but some yeah. subjects like history economics history. we found huge yeah. difference between the examples yeah. it's the difference between your child mm -hmm. loving the subject and enjoying studying it or hating it i think there's oh, no yeah. shortcut for printing out the specifications maybe looking at a past paper because they're all slightly different and they all have different ways yeah. of wording things and they all yeah. lay things out differently so i think it's 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 hard work as a parent but it's worth putting that effort in i think to begin with yeah, I think, as as I said earlier, I think that can be daunting because the choice is down to you to make. But then I think once you've put that work into it and research, it's about research, 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 research is one of the big top tips, I would say. Look at what's out there, compare the specifications, look at past papers, work out what, you know, for maths, for example, some some questions are wordier, which which doesn't work for some students. Um, they want, you know, a more clear cut sort of question. Edexcel, sometimes the questions can be a bit woollier and a bit vaguer, whereas Cambridge tend to be um, more transparent, I think, a lot of the time. But then again, Cambridge syllabuses on the whole tend to be larger than Edexcel's and the way that they're examined might be different. So whether you want to set Edexcel spec B, for example, for English language, it's a one three hour exam versus Cambridge, which is uh, two shorter papers. So it's a question of what your child prefers, it's their preferences. So it's really, and that's the beauty though, you can tailor it to that. You can kind of pick the syllabus and the, the content and the um, specification that works well for you. I think English language is a classic example of a huge difference between the examples because the Cambridge English as a first language GCSE is so different, I think, to Edexcel or AQA English. Um, it's almost as if they're different subjects. It's almost as if the Cambridge English is what we would imagine to be a nice, straightforward English language exam. Yeah. And then the others are more like English literature in my eyes. Yes, yeah, um, especially because one of them has a compulsory anthology, which obviously is a is something that a lot of people might not, um, you know, be interested in studying poetry. You know, so there's a big difference because you don't have the literature component in the Cambridge, which is the one, the one that I teach. I'm a bit biased because I love that <laughs> syllabus and I think it's very accessible to um, students of a wide range of abilities. My son did, I think, EdXLB or something, and I really wish I'd done the Cambridge with him and I'm doing the Cambridge with my daughter because I think it is so much more straightforward and it's a lovely exam. It's more practical and you yeah, feel like it's actually it is, definitely. got a use in life. And I you like You can that. see the relevance. You can see the yes. relevance. There's some practical skills that, you know, I think you can gain through doing it that you can apply in, in everyday life. A lot of the time you think, why am I studying this? What's what what's the point of studying this? You know, what relevance yeah, you don't want to, you don't want another of those conversations with your children where they go, when will I ever need to know this? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I digress, you know. <laughs> like, okay. So, um, yeah, and just to mention also that don't discount extracurricular activities and qualifications. So, Duke of Edinburgh, Royal Life Saving Society, archery qualifications, fencing, horticulture, Royal uh, RHS do um, courses as well. So, there's lots of different things you can do if you want to explore a subject just from you know from the point of view that you're you're passionate about it is worth doing anyway. 
my son did an EPQ uh, in cyber hacking and he did that wow. when he was about 14. And that's actually, I think it counts as an AS level. But again, it was just one of those things where we just thought it would be a lot of fun. And it was. Yeah, I mean, and there's absolutely, I think it doesn't always have to be about getting exams under your belt, you know, certificates and stuff under your belt. It, you can explore interests and passions in lots of different ways. So, And I think you gain skills, don't you? Learning is. is valuable, isn't it? Yeah, so, and one thing he said was that he learned very much how to plan his work schedule, you know, his, his study schedule, because yeah. um, or he was quite young for it because it was obviously meant for sort of 16, 17 year olds. And so it was very independent learning and he had yeah. goals that he had to hit every Every few months and he really did have to plan how he would he, they had to produce this very large project at the end and yeah. he said that that experience has been invaluable and now he plans all his a-levels himself and I don't get involved at all and it, it's one of those where there's always something wonderful to be had even if you're not getting yeah. a qualification or anything like that yeah definitely it's a life skill he's gained from doing that which has stood him in good stead so brilliant and that's what it's all about really isn't it so um the next question that I'm often asked is how to enter for exams and how how much does it cost, which is obviously a critical issue for a lot of families. Exam entries are made directly with exam centres. You don't apply for to sit an exam with the board directly. The centre does that on your behalf. The centre registers the candidate with the board. It's quite a straightforward process usually. Um, most centres, commercial centres, will have online forms to fill in. You do that, provide your ID, your copy of your passport or whatever, and then make the payment online. That's generally how we've done it. And we've used a few different um, boards over the years. Uh, a few different centres over the years. You need to know your subject code, don't you, for applying? So, you, for example, it's normally something like a letter, a couple of numbers and a letter, something like that. And normally you can find that, but you do have to be a little careful with some subjects because they have a number of different variations of the specification, particularly history, yeah. where you're taking options within that. So that's something that if you're unsure of, you can ask in Facebook groups, um, particularly the subject specific Facebook groups. Lots of people come on and they say, okay, I'm entering my child for the, the exams. These are the codes. Is this right? And people can come I just on and check? Help. Can I just check? This <laughs> is the right code. That's fine. Yeah. And, you know, you'll find lots of people have asked similar questions. Um, so, yeah, that's a good point to mention there. So because you will need that when um, when entering your child for a particular subject because the code identifies the, the board and the particular specification that they're going to be sitting the exams for. Costs can vary quite a lot. So most people don't realize that private centers, commercial centers can charge whatever they like. Um, and a board, the actual charge that the board make is on average around 50 to 60 pounds per entry. But centers charge typically sort of 120 to 190. I was once quoted at a center which is walking distance from me because I thought oh, that one would be really good you don't have to contend with the rush hour to get to the exam center at nine o'clock 240 pounds for a GCSE and I thought I no, can trust that <laughs> I can trump that, I'm afraid, because okay. when my daughter was due to sit her classical civilization, I wanted, she has a dyslexia diagnosis, so I wanted extra time. And yeah. they charged me £200 for the exam and £200 for a 10-minute dyslexia Goodness. assessment, even though she ha she already had an official diagnosis. So I paid £400 for that exam. So, But I think generally yeah. centres are around £200-ish nowadays, unless yeah. I think local schools are often very cheap because they just... Yeah. They just plump you in with the school children, but that really limits what qualifications you can sit because you have to sit the ones yeah. that they're sitting. Yeah. So also, I'm not sure the extent to which. Um, certainly, we've used a school pre-COVID, but after, you know, as with the onset of COVID, they were obvious for obvious reasons they were trying to maintain bubbles and so on. They didn't accept external um, candidates. Um, you know, they didn't want people from outside the school coming into the school buildings. So that kind of effectively ruled that out, which is um, why I think that in recent years there's there've been a lot of schools which formerly were offering um, opportunities like that to external candidates to sit at the centre um, that option is not always available now so that's something to I mean bear in mind you can investigate that and I think there are some schools now offering that but it's something to bear in mind and that puts additional pressure on a limited number of places in commercial centres which means that they tend to book up very early so tutors and exams I think their official deadline is around February but I think they were booked up quite early this year so and I think people then had to travel to other centres is further away just to get just to have the opportunity to sit the exams 
if you withdraw your child from school when they're in year 10 or 11, it's often helpful if you could say to the school, can she come back and sit her exams with you? And depending on, and this is outrageous, but depending on how, how academic your child is, they will be, they'll be more inclined to allow them in because yeah. it helps their figures. But that can save you a lot of money and a lot of hassle. Yeah, yeah it's, it's, it's appalling, but that is generally how it works. Yes. Yeah, because they want to boost their stats, don't they, in terms of the league tables. You're saying about booking the exams in early, and I think that's important because over the last couple of years, there has definitely been an uptake of, of private candidates in exam centres. Yeah. So I think generally, if you're sitting summer exams, it's recommended to apply sometime around December, January, right? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, that that I think would be kind of a good a good kind of um time frame um to to suggest to people. Um, yeah. So a lot of the the kind of um, decision making around the center that you choose i mean most people most home educators will say decide what um you know find out what boards your local center is offering and then go with those boards but i actually think and a, a friend of mine a home educating friend of mine um some time ago said to me and i think this is something i've i've always borne in mind as well is that you don't have to you're not tied to that so if you're prepared to travel you can go and yeah. sit any board anywhere so I that's something to bear agree. in mind yeah a lot of the time mm. you'll get that advice that you know find out what your local center offers and then go with the board that they offer and that's not always the best way i think yeah i mean we consider. had we had a center that was 20 minutes away but was quite limited in what they offered and so we ended up doing a two-hour trip and just staying overnight which actually takes a lot of pressure yeah. off morning exams anyway does, we would always yeah. make a bit of a bit of an event of it and go somewhere afterwards but i agree mm -hmm. i think my personal approach and it sounds like yours as well is to choose the specification that works best for your child and then find yeah. your nearest exam center that offers that yes yeah and we're i'm in london so um there isn't really a shortage of centers that offer either either both or, or um, one or the other edexcel or cambridge which are the most widely sat although having said that edexcel is more widely available in the UK than Cambridge. Um, there are fewer centres that offer Cambridge than Edexcel, but many of the commercial centres, for example, tutors and exams offer all the boards. So, and they do also facilitate speaking and listening um, elements as well for foreign languages as well. So commercial yeah. centres do offer that option as well. So um, something to bear in mind as well, that you don't always have to go with, choose the centre and then go with the board that they offer, even though that might not be the best one for you. I think you can also shop around, can't you? Because I know Definitely. that I know that some exam centres, it's really worth asking in your local groups for almost reviews yeah. of them because some, you know, there are nightmare stories about some of them and it's worth it's worth finding them out so that you can then think, you know what, I'll travel a little bit further and and have yeah. one where everyone comes on and says, I love that exam centre. Definitely, definitely. And I have to say, although I've mentioned tutors and exams because they are the most kind of um they have the biggest network in this country. Um I have to say that they're not the best. They weren't, in my experience, the best. Um, uh, they were actually the worst of all the centres that we we. I'm afraid I had with. the same experience. Um, so, and I was quite surprised, given that you know they've got quite a reputation amongst the home educating community. Um, but yeah, I was quite um quite surprised and a bit disappointed i have to say and they weren't think, the cheapest either <laughs> no and they're, they're um, actually the ones that charged me 400 pounds but i think oh I, although nowadays i don't think they can charge for access arrangements yeah. and that goes for all exam centers but yeah. i think what happened with tutors and exams to be fair because i had exactly the same experience as you i used them one time and then didn't use them again and i think it's because they were quite small and then they became yeah. hugely popular Suddenly over lockdown became, yeah. and then last summer which i think was the first summer they had in person exams they really struggled to cope with the numbers yes i think things are starting to settle down a bit now so hopefully that all that um covid pandemonium <laughs> is behind <laughs> us now so, so. Uh, yeah so the next thing i wanted to look at was uh, distance learning providers versus do-it-yourself approaches now i said earlier that with my two older daughters we basically uh for each subject we decided to study we ordered the textbook <laughs> and we worked our way systematically through the book with a view to completing the syllabus roughly over if we started in september by easter so quite a kind of methodical approach really and then the idea was that from easter to the exams was just kind of focused revision and, and past paper practice and that worked for us but then that doesn't mean to say I haven't invested in resources that I thought would be great, but we didn't end up using. 
Um, it really just depends, you know, and that's the key point, I think. There isn't a one-size-fits-all approach. Even with the same child, you might take different approaches for different subjects. And what suits you and your child might not be the best approach for others. Um, again, it comes back to researching, I think, knowing what the options are and understanding your child's preferred learning style also and what you want from a course if you're using um, a provider. Um, there's a lot of them out there. And a lot of them have very good reputations. For example, NetSchool um, is, has a very good reputation. Absolute Math, Southwest Science School, Echo Education, Humanities, Jake, um, Homemade Education. Some of them are very well established. Some of them are um, run by home educators. And so they understand the requirements of home educators and they understand IGCSEs, which is another thing to mention. So private tutors who are mainly teaching kids in schools might not understand the differences in syllabus and content um, yeah. in terms of IGCSEs versus GCSEs. So make sure that you you find, if you're using a tutor who's mainly teaching mainstream schooled kids, that they understand the differences. And it will also partly be determined by your budget. So how, you know, because some providers may be very good, such as NetSchool, but they're at the more expensive end of the spectrum, if you like, in terms of cost. Some are very affordable, like Absolute Maths, you know, you can do their self-study course and it's quite reasonable. Southwest Science School also. I think what's also helpful to know is that you don't have to use a provider all the way through the GCSE study. Yeah. It's quite nice to self-study and then just to bring somebody in for a couple of sessions at the end or maybe do a revision course. Um, yeah. I know you did you did a revision course, Iram, on English language. And yes. we didn't do, my daughter actually did no <laughs> English language study. She just did your, your revision course. And that's a really cost-effective way of doing it because what you're doing then is you're maybe just bringing in a tutor or a very short course at the end just to get the exam technique in. Exactly that, exactly that. And I think also for a subject like English, if you have a solid basis already in the subject, it's really just about honing your writing skills, tailoring them to the requirements of the question and the syllabus and the different tasks in the in the paper on the papers so that you're nailing the criteria that the examiners are looking for. Understanding and practice, that kind of right? Exactly. Practice and, yeah. practice and, so and we found marking using the mark scheme really helpful, sitting together, yeah. seeing what we were dropping marks on. And I think that way they get yeah. to know what the examiner is looking for. Yeah, yeah. And it's important to get into the examiner's mindset. And also on that note, um, reading examiner's reports, I, I think, is very valuable because you learn, you know, you kind of identify the common pitfalls. And um, it can really boost your understanding of what examiners are looking for and nailing sort of things like your terminology and so on, especially in the sciences, knowing that you should say mass instead of amount, for example, things mm. like that. Um, so it's a case of kind of understanding that. And the more you read, the more you practice with past papers, which is always a really big part of our exam strategy, because that's where you hone your knowledge and you hone your technique. So it's not just all about knowledge. It's also about how you tailor what you know to the requirements of the question and understand how to approach the questions and the different tasks in the manner which get you the marks, basically. What we like to do was we would mark a couple of papers ourselves and then we would get one paper externally marked by an examiner. So either with mark my papers is very popular, mm -hmm. but a little expensive. But yeah. we would sometimes just approach tutors and say how much just to mark a paper, particularly if they had yeah. experience as an examiner. And then we would also mark the paper and we would cross reference yeah. and see if we we're on the right course. And that way you, it can often be only 20, 30 pounds. And it means that then you you have confidence that you're marking it correctly yourself. That's really valuable. That's really valuable. I know um, several home, um, I know several home educators who've taken that approach as well. And I think also it's important to mention that this will vary by subject. So things like sciences and maths are very straightforward. They're very sort of mm. cut and dried, black and white. It's much, it's, it's much more straightforward to mark those kinds of um, subject for those kinds of subjects because it's much clearer what's what exactly is required. Things that are a bit more subjective, um, English and history and so on, essay-based subjects, um, that might be where it's most beneficial to kind of get that external input. It's when you look at your mark scheme and it says, 
this answer, this answer, this answer. And then it says something like AVR or something, any valid response. Yeah. And you think that yeah. could be anything. What does that mean? How, 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 am, <laughs> exactly. I, how am I supposed to interpret that? You know, so that's where I think it can be valuable, um, particularly. Um, but I think in general, I mean, you know, science is maths, you know, kind of straightforward subjects like that. They're very straightforward to mark. Um, geography also is quite straightforward, environmental management and so on. So. Um, in terms of learning providers, things to think about are, you know, factors to take into account the kind of level and quality of peer interaction, whether your your child is able to work independently, the degree of support they require, how much support you can offer. And another thing I would say is that even if you're outsourcing, always keep your eye on the ball, kind of just yeah. kind of keep a view overview of what's going on and just make sure that, you know, things are going as expected. Yeah, um, if you're yeah. using a tutor, I would recommend things like, as you say, checking that they understand and have worked with IGCSEs, preferably someone who's done some examining. I would also yeah. be asking for feedback after every session. I, I like my money's worth for my tutors. Um, feedback <laughs> after every session. And then also just how much um, marked work they do between sessions. So yeah. the homework that they expect, is that marked and is there feedback? Don't Think forget that more. you're the consumer here. You're the customer and you can you're ask the for these things, yeah, especially because exactly. tutors in particular can be very expensive. And so uh, yeah. it's nice to get your money's worth. <laughs> definitely, definitely. So all good questions to kind of pose to tutors. Um, and just to say that also, you know, my daughters have done this with some subjects, some subjects as well, just having study buddies, somebody who they know who's doing the same syllabus. And it's just nice to, if you're working on your own without a tutor, it can be quite nice just to have that kind of regular catch up, talk through um, your what you're doing, quiz each other, that kind of thing. So that was that's something to consider as well. And it's entirely possible to complete all your IGCSEs or GCSEs independently, but that doesn't mean you have to, because that doesn't work for everybody. For some people, they don't, the dynamic between parent and child doesn't work for that. Um, their child maybe doesn't respond to them in the same way that they would to a tutor. There's no kind of stigma or anything, you know, attached to doing it yourself or not doing it yourself. It's really just kind of you can be you can mix and match your approaches and try things out and see how things work. And and I think there isn't a home educator out there who hasn't kind of on reflection thought that maybe that wasn't the best course of action. Maybe I shouldn't have invested yeah. that money in that resource or whatever, um, because it's <laughs> sitting on the shelf gathering dust. <laughs> yes. um, and yeah, so that's okay. I mean, to some extent, it's trial and error as well. So don't be afraid to kind of modify your approach and adapt things if it's not working, um, even if it means ditching a subject you know, yeah. in favor of something else. So that's something to mention as well. Where to sit exams? So there are, as I mentioned, private exam centres such as tutors and exams. In London, there's Cherry Hill, David Games. Information about private centres you can often um, get from local home ed groups. There, you can also ask on the bigger Facebook groups as well. Some of these private exam centres as well offer the opportunity to sit mocks. I know that Fergos does. The one that we use, 3A tutors in Bristol, they offer the opportunity yeah. to sit a mock. So, I mean, normally you stagger exams and your child starts quite early, so they get years of experience. But perhaps before yeah. the first one, it's nice to go in and sit a mock just so they get a sense of what it's all like. I think it gives gives confidence as well, I think, especially if you're if it's their first set of exams and they don't know what to expect, just kind of it can be quite daunting, I think. So mm. um, some pros for private exam centres, um, they might be able to facilitate practical elements, coursework, speaking and listening components. Often uh, there are smaller numbers sitting exams, although that might be less the case now with pressure on spaces that are available. It often is the case, you know, my older two sat exams in a private school pre-COVID and it was a large gym hall set up with hundreds of students and they had like 90 external candidates alone, just the external wow. candidates. So um, and that can be a little bit intimidating in comparison to that Cherry Hill, which is a small centre. For some of the exams that my daughter sat there, there were just a handful of people or maybe just two or three um, of which she was one. So that can be kind of a little bit less <laughs> intimidating. I think it also depends on the sitting, doesn't it? Because the Definitely. autumn sitting, that tends to be a lot quieter. quieter. So with the reset sittings, which actually isn't that Cambridge, you can sit pretty much anything you want in yeah. autumn, the autumn sitting. That tends. To, I, mean, I know my son did a couple in autumn, and he there were like you say two or three in the room. Whereas in yeah. summer there were fifty or so in the room. 
Yeah, I think the autumn, we've done a few as well. So autumn sittings are great because for that reason, but also because you can kind of take slightly longer if you want to as well. So you can kind of give yourself a bit longer if you want to, for whatever reason, if you find that you need a little bit more time to cover the syllabus rather than trying to rush to get it all covered in time for the summer. If you're abroad, there are also private schools and the British Council to investigate. And just to note that not all centres offer all boards. Um, access arrangements, if your child needs access arrangements, that can take a while to put in place. Yeah, they have yeah, limited, definitely. particularly laptop use, things like that. And what I think we'll probably try to do is do a whole podcast on access arrangements, because it's one of those that I think neither you nor I, Iram, are particularly specialists <laughs> in this. And I think I don't want to give Duff information out. So I think what we'll probably yeah. do is is have a podcast just on access arrangements, because it's such a massive thing that the child is able to. And it's a to... minefield as well, actually, because yeah, the regulations is. are constantly changing. Change all the so time. And the last thing you yeah. want is for your child to be disadvantaged, disadvantaged because the access arrangements aren't right. Yeah. Yeah. And just a final point on just in terms of centres and so on. So if you do sit exams at school or a college, um, they're not under any obligation to accept home educated students. So be nice to your exams officer at school. Absolutely. Otherwise, it may be the case, as has been previously, that exams officers just refuse to accept external candidates or home educated students. So, yeah, because I think a lot of people don't necessarily realise that they don't have any obligation to offer you an opportunity to sit at their centre. So they're doing that as a courtesy or doing it as a sort of community service or whatever. Yeah. So just be aware of that. So don't kind of <laughs> be demanding, or excessively demanding. <laughs> Which boards? So uh, mentioned earlier that Edexcel and Cambridge are the most widely sat for uh, most subjects. OCR and AQA are also available for some subjects. There's no difference in the standard of any board any between the boards. They're all regarded as equivalent, but there are, as we said earlier, differences in terms of content and the number of papers, the type of questions, and whether there's any controlled assessment coursework type components in the syllabus as we discussed earlier as well so it's important to download the specifications which are all available online on the different boards websites um, and the past papers are often yeah they're always I think available now um, you'll be at the very least available to uh, able to access specimen papers to compare them and see which you prefer the specification yeah. will also have that uh, number that I mentioned code. the subject code, the code yeah. yeah yeah so that's that's a good place to look for that as well so at Excel have made some changes in recent years um, so to their syllabuses. So there may not be as many past papers available for some subjects that they offer compared to Cambridge IGCSEs, which there is a huge bank of past papers for for most of their subjects, which have, you know, they're very sort of stable, if you like. So, um, you know, that's been a deciding factor for some subjects for us, the fact that there's just a wealth of papers there to practice yeah. with, which are easily and readily accessible. And yeah, so some in some areas, your choice of board and syllabus might be influenced by which boards are available to you, although that might not be an issue if you can and you're willing to travel. That's not necessarily going to pose a barrier. Um, so that's just in terms of boards. So the key point there, I think, is to compare, to, to look up Absolutely. the boards and compare and do the legwork. There's no really. shortcut. I mean, you'll often have people say, which board is best? which board is best. And I always say there is no best, there is no mm. kind of right board or wrong board. It's just what's best for your child, for your young person in terms of the content and the way it's assessed. The other thing I would say when it comes to printing off the past papers is they're not necessarily wasted because even if it's different specifications, those questions will still be helpful revision. We take that past paper and I sit with my child and they actually sit the paper. And that way I can see yeah. how much they know before we even start on any study, because yeah. it's amazing how much children know without you realising. And it also oh, means that you can tailor, yeah. tailor your learning to the bits that perhaps they're weakest in. So I, it's not wasted to print those papers off because no. they're always useful anyway. Yeah, definitely, definitely good advice there. So, yeah, they're very useful past papers. And as I said earlier, a big part of our strategy. So planning preparation organization so a lot of people ask do you have to have studied key stage three like everything at key stage three before you get into igcse and gcse this is my favorite topic because i love <laughs> key stage three i think it's such a pointless waste of time <laughs> yeah i mean i think you have to understand that in schools the way that learning works is a lot of repetition so they're going over material again and again and actually mm -hmm. for most of what we did um we didn't really do any sort of consistent 
key stage three work as such and um you know you can just the the course textbooks i think most of them are quite readable and they don't assume any prior knowledge so you can just launch straight straight into it and um they're complete courses so they don't really require you to have had that foundation but that's not to say you can't do that if you want to um uh, you know, as I said, we'd kind of dabbled in science and so on, the sciences, and uh, but not done anything sort of consistently or regularly even. And we just w launched in and completed all of the sciences in one academic year each using the DIY approach that I mentioned earlier on. I think the other thing to mention with maths is that the key stage three element of maths tracks quite well to foundation maths, the foundation GCSE in maths. So yeah. in some ways you could you could do the key stage three and then just elongate that through and your child can sit the foundation maths. But obviously with foundation maths, they're capped at a certain grade, which I think is a four or maybe a five. I'm not... It's a C, isn't it? Equivalent it's equivalent to it's a C. It's a C, so whatever yeah. that is now, I think it may be a yeah. five. So they're yeah. capped at that and can't do more than that. But it's good to know that basically key stage three maths is pretty much foundation maths and then the GCSE yeah. section is moves into higher maths. Yes, definitely. And the other thing I wanted to mention is the trajectory that home educated kids often take is not sort of this slow, steady kind of approach. It's sort of whoop like that, you know, it goes, yes. you can cover a lot intensively over a short period of time. So it's a very different kind of approach to learning, I think. Um, yes, and, so and we're not talking about hours every day, are we? Because no, I know you've mentioned a couple not. of times that you'd say start studying in September and sit the exam in May with a couple yeah. of months for revision. Yeah. And that is completely achievable. And you don't have to be sitting for six hours a day to do that. You can be very effective, can't you, in your in your Definitely. time when you're only doing it's a couple a year. Um, it's very doable, just on the mm -hmm. basis of a, a couple of hours a day and over that time span, so over about a six-month period, working on one GCSE at a time. But obviously, you can do it over two years or a year and a half. You know, that's, again, something that you can adapt and adjust as need be. And yeah, I always think that it's quite useful sometimes to have that hands-on learning. So doing, if you're learning about science, you know, doing some hands-on work, a practical work at home, although you don't have to, YouTube's great. You can watch loads of YouTube practicals as well, yeah. if, if uh, budgetary issues are a factor as well. Um, trips to museums, galleries, places of interest, watching documentaries, listening to podcasts, all of that helps to reinforce learning. How to schedule the workload is something that people ask often about. Out as well so um, and to some extent uh, this will sort of depend on the level of prior knowledge so if your child happens to be a science buff or you know they're really keen on maths you know they already have a solid foundation so they'll get up to GCSE stage and um, very quickly um, they may you may find that they're already practically there they're already mm. working at that level if you're starting from sort of scratch, um, you can find schemes of work online. A lot of the boards offer guidance material for teachers to use in classrooms, which you can adapt or you can devise your own scheme of work, you know, work out that's basically what you intend to cover topic wise each week, each month, whatever, and work out a schedule and additional or supplementary activities you might want to incorporate into that. So YouTube was great. I've got so many different playlists over the years for every <laughs> subject. There are lots of past paper walkthroughs and all sorts some very, you know, I had a really interesting one. We talked talking about Classiv. I had clips of Ben Hur and Gladiator and all sorts <laughs> in there um, to illustrate Sparta and things, you know, the Roman world. Um, so, you know, there's ways and you can kind of bring learning to life that way. I also really liked TES resources. I found that very mm. helpful for free resources, but also fairly cheap paid resources. It depends how schooly in inverted commas you want to be, but there's a lot of very good teacher resources on TES that oh, are actually very cheap, particularly for things like history. Um, and then they have links to YouTube and stuff like that within the resources. So they can be really yeah. good too. That's fun. Yeah, it's fantastic advice, actually, because I've used them um, as well. And it can just save you time as well. So even if you could put together something just as good, uh, it can save you legwork, right? So that's also something to yeah. bear in mind. But YouTube channels as well. So we used Science with Hazel for the Sciences. Excellent, some yes, really excellent brilliant. things online. Um, and I think sometimes even better than a tutor. Physics and Maths tutor, which offer more than just physics and maths, they're fantastic. Um, all free science lessons as well was another one that we used a bit. 
there's a YouTube channel called, I think it's called Physics with Keith, and he offers free lessons and free group lessons. And he's very passionate about bringing physics. Yeah. And he also does astronomy to, to all children. So he's very good. As I say, he has a pay whatever you can kind of approach. And he's very good. Yeah. And there's tons for maths as well. We used loads of different channels for maths as well. So um, it's, it's worth having a, a look just kind of on YouTube, sort of Googling Edexcel, IGCSE, whatever it is, the syllabus that you're looking at, walkthroughs as well. So that's... Walkthroughs are wonderful, aren't they? Particularly walk exam walkthroughs. And what we yeah. can do on the Home Education Matters Facebook group um, is what I'll do is I'll put a post up and we can put our favourite YouTube channels Resources. and things like that in there because yeah. there are so many. And sometimes we we know them and we think everybody has discovered them like physics with Keith I thought everybody knew about him and no one knows yeah, about I've him yeah I've not heard of him actually <laughs> no it's strange isn't it so I think it would be nice to have a thread doing that on the home education matters Facebook yeah. group I think that's really useful because it saves people having to kind of do the time consuming yeah. work of looking through and, and sifting through all the different channels out there um because there are so many um, just to say that we mentioned briefly the Cambridge offer sittings both in October, November um, and also the summer. So you've got a choice of sittings and Edexcel were um, summer and previously January, but they're moving their winter sittings to November also. So in 2023, they're going to be offering three. So there's sort of a transition. Oh, I thought they were that. shifting from January to November, but they're keeping January as well, are they? Only for 2023, which oh, I think okay. is a and then it will just be November. From I've 2024, it will be November and summers. I think if you've just taken your child out and say they're 14, 15, and here we are saying, oh, start them early and stagger them. And you might be thinking, well, I can't do that because my child yeah, is that bit older. Yeah. But actually, not only, as you say, you can sit them a year later, but also you can stagger them through the year. So you can do a summer Definitely. sitting and then the autumn sitting as well. And that's yeah. very helpful for just taking that pressure off, isn't it? I think it is, especially if your child has left school and it's been a traumatic experience in school. They may need time just to decompress. And I don't think you should get sort of hung up on worries about sitting exams and timescales and so on, because know that there are options to stagger them, know that you can kind of take them slightly later, you can pace yourself, you can take that extra year. So that relieves the pressure, I think, and is kind of a, a kind of it makes it easier to kind of grapple with, I think. Yeah, I think what I always say is that an unhappy child won't learn, you know, they're, they're too busy just surviving you can't really yeah. expect them to learn and so the priority is to get the well-being up and healthy and then worry about the yeah. exams and as you yeah, say definitely. you can always do them when they're a little bit older it's I mean if you think yeah. how many people take gap years it's absolutely fine to be that little bit older yeah. and apply to university that's yeah, no problem definitely. at all and then you know your child's mental health and well-being is obviously the priority absolutely um, because there's, there's always time to sit exams later on. if you want so to. that's yeah. a, that's something to bear in mind just to kind of finish up, really, um, what to, what, where to go from here, really? I thought it'd be helpful to kind of identify some kind of actionable kind of steps that you might want to take. So as I said, research is my big top tip. So research, 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 research the boards, research the centres, research the syllabuses. And it may seem like there's a lot to kind of wade through, but it will pay off because you'll, you'll be making informed decisions and choices that work for you. Also, ask for further information advice and recommendations in forums there's email forums there's exams forums on facebook the subject specific forums use the search facility the option there and really just kind of trust that you can facilitate your child's education really i think a lot of it comes down to kind of feeling confident enough to vanquish the doubt really mm. um, and banish the uncertainty um, especially if you're facing if you're not in a very supportive environment, you know, if you've got people around you who are doubting your ability to do that, that can that can um, dent your confidence. But trusting that you, even if you're not directly educating or facilitating your child's learning or learning alongside them, as, as often has been the case with, with myself and my daughters, that you can find uh, resources, the right options from the wealth that there are available to enable them to get where they want to go. I think the other vital thing that I always sort of say when it comes to any exam topic is that quantifying your child's uh, worth or even just sort of quantifying your home ed journey with exam results is just a disaster. And there's always so many more things that 
show how amazing home ed is and there's always so many more things that can show you how your child has developed and grown as a person than the number grades that they get at the end of the subject and I know that who your child is and the person that they are becoming is so impossible to quantify in grades and I think it's always worth reminding ourselves that if you sit exams or don't sit exams your child and your home ed journey is still just as valuable as everybody else's oh most definitely and I always said to my daughters when they were doing um, the revision on exam days and so on that it's not the be all and end all it really isn't there is life beyond exams and it's not everything your whole life isn't riding on this exam and I think when you're in the midst of it um you know it's hard to see the wood for the trees I think sometimes isn't it you can't see the kind of the bigger picture um, is one part of our home education journey and I think it's sort of for for many home educators it's sort of a hoop jumping exercise also in order to facilitate next steps really so it certainly isn't and nor should it be um, the sum total of uh, home education and that's something to bear in mind and kind of keep that sense of perspective really um, recognizing and I think that that helps with your child doesn't it because it helps how you approach exams is how your child tends to approach exams and so if you're pretty relaxed about it and you're emphasizing that you know nothing is drastic you can always reset there's always alternatives I think your child picks up on that and then they will go into the the exam relaxed and confident yeah excellent advice there Iram and I will be doing another podcast somewhere around early spring, just before that revision period, which will be kind of deep diving into this exam prep, exam revision, right? Yeah, that would be great. Excellent. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that one. (laughs) Yeah, fantastic. Well, thank you, Iram. That has been wonderful. And it's it's a fairly deep dive, but that's brilliant. And we're looking forward to having you back on the podcast in the new year to go into uh, the exam tips and revision tips. I look forward to that. (laughs) Thank you so much, Iram. It's been lovely chatting to you. Thank you very much. It's been lovely to be on. Thank you so much for joining us for today's Home Education Matters podcast. See you at the next one. Have a lovely day.